The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently, you shouldn't rock the boat. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you, I am a boat Good day, America. Welcome, Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people. All the boat rockers are in the house and anybody else I may have missed to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio, where we use the Bible and the Constitution, not to see who's on the right or the left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S. occupied state of South Carolina, the editor at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. And for our Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warns you about a hold to the book, the Bible. As the authoritative word of God, glad that you guys have joined us this morning. If you'd like to check us out online, please do so. SonsOfLibertyRadio.com and also SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. In fact, if you're listening by way of Red State Talk Radio and you want to watch the video portion of the radio show, that's right, you can see the face that's made for radio. Head over to SonsOfLibertyMedia.com and there you're going to see two videos at the top of the screen. The one on the left side is Bradley's show from the previous day. So if you didn't get to see that and you'd like to do that, you can do so up until 3 o'clock Eastern, at which time he'll be live in that little area right there. On the right side of the page is where we're at. Click on the play button, blow it up on whatever device you've got, and uh, look for the Rumble icon in the bottom right-hand corner. Click on that and you can join us in the chat on Rumble. We've got a lot of friends over there on Rumble uh, that join us each morning. I'm glad to have all you guys. And then be sure to subscribe to the channel over there. We're streaming live to Rumble at Sons of Liberty Radio Live. That's the channel. Be sure and subscribe over there. We're also uh, streaming live to BeforeIt'sNews.com, top of the page there. We appreciate those guys giving us a platform on their page as well. Right up under where we're streaming live is where you can sign up for our email newsletter. Uh, be sure and sign up for that. You get it once a night. It comes out at set between 7 and 8 in your inbox, Eastern Time. And uh, that's all the articles we have from Sons of Liberty Media that day. And then also you get the morning show archive. So whatever we mention in here, all that will be in there, as well as you'll have links to all the articles as well. All those are linked in there. And there's some bonus videos. Usually I don't cover every single topic. You guys know when I get on one thing, I pretty much stay on that thing for the hour. And uh, I don't try to... You know, scattershot everything. Sometimes it happens, but uh, most of the time we stay on one topic. So uh, that's in there as well. Finally, if you agree with our message, you'd like to help keep us out there on the internet and the radio and out in the 50 states among the people teaching our Christian constitutional heritage, there's a donate button at the top of sonsoflibertymedia.com. Click on that, make a one time donation, or you can partner with us monthly as a son or daughter of liberty. And guys, we really do appreciate your support very much. Uh, without you, we're unable to do all of the different things that we do, at least at the capacity that we do. So uh, with that said, now you guys know, on I think it was on Saturday, uh, I played for you just about two minutes of a gentleman out in Oregon, his statement at his alleged hearing. 
And when I think of hearing, I think, okay, there's somebody's listening and two people are going to go at it and somebody's going to make a ruling on it. But that's not really what goes on at this particular hearing. Uh, it's just to kind of give both sides of the story so the the public knows what's going on. But the, you know, the die's already been cast and, and those things have been determined. And the gentleman that I played for you, his name is Mason Goodnight. Now, I got I to tell you, I thought you hear this guy's name, me and my friend Bill, who who said, you got to You got to hear what this guy has to say. We, we both were thinking the same things like this guy's got like this folk hero kind of name, a uh, very cool name. And uh, Mason, I got in touch with him. He was very gracious to me and said, yeah, I'll come on the show. You know, he's doing some things with the family and uh, we've got him on the show this morning. But before I bring him on, let me give him sort of a proper introduction here. He's a Christian. I like that he puts this these things first. You know, because when you ask somebody to give you a bio, they want to tell you about their schooling and all this other stuff. And this is how I do my bio, too. I stick it front and center. Uh, first, he's a Christian. He's a husband. He's a father. He's an evangelist. He's an abolitionist and a former corrections deputy of over 27 years. He served the Douglas County Jail in Roseburg, Oregon, until he refused to sign off on the new LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ stuff, agenda training, and especially the jail's revised transgender and of course it the sons of liberty we don't call it that because there is no such thing we call it trans delusional uh, procedure uh, mason refused to partake in furthering the destructive trans delusional ideology in his jail and community and after a 10-week ordeal he was fired for it so he stood up for his faith he stood up for what the bible says and he said that over and over and over again that is the authority and uh, boy, it is my privilege to welcome to the Sons of Liberty, Mason. Good night. Good to see you, man. Yeah, good to see you, Tim. Thanks for having me on. What a blessing to be on the show. Yeah, and I don't know what happened. You are not on there, and that's my fault. <laughs> so just hang on with me just one moment, folks, and we'll hopefully clear this up. I think it's that one. Oh, maybe it isn't. I don't know <laughs> what happened to my... Ah, uh, we're in trouble. Okay, so... While I sort out, let me tell you, while I sort this out, and I will get Mason up on the screen for you. I don't know why it didn't come up, but while I sort this out, Mason, why don't you take us a, a moment and just kind of, you know, we kind of bullet pointed who you are. Tell us a little bit about yourself, where you, where you grew up, how, how you got this great name, Mason Goodnight, okay, <laughs> and, uh, and, and what all you've been doing, man, and I'll get, I'll get you up on the screen. That's all right. I'm like you, Tim. I've got a I've got a face for radio. That's for sure. So so they don't have to worry about it really. But uh, no, I was born uh, out here on the left coast. I've been here my my whole life pretty much. But bounced back and forth between California and Oregon. I was born into a Christian family in the South Bay area around San Jose, California. Um, like I said, parents bounced back and forth due to work, you know, life back and forth uh, between Oregon and California, and while I was um, a young man, probably six, a young man, I was a boy, I was six years old or so, I said, you know, the sinner's prayer and got baptized at seven and all that and professed to be a Christian, but I was a false convert. I didn't recognize that until probably when I was about 21, 22, but uh, I genuinely got saved then, but, but I really actually even then didn't know that. I thought I just became a spirit-filled believer started walking with the Lord, um, started uh, growing in faith and just following Jesus. And that was shortly after getting hired at the sheriff's office back in 96. And so in short, I have been bounced back and forth, but I have been in Roseburg, Oregon since about 95. Um, 
And then I have been here ever since. And I got hired out of the sheriff's office, like I said, in 96. And then I kind of had a, I had some theological um, uh, changes and ref- refining my doctrine and everything uh, probably about 15 years ago or so really changed a, a lot of my ideas, but also helped hone into the realization that I was a false convert for many years. And only um, when I actually thought I was being coming on fire, as it were, I was actually being saved and uh, started act- actively in ministry um, through the church. I was at a Calvary Chapel at the time. Uh, I worked with the junior high, high school. Eventually, I was became a deacon, went on to be a um, young adult pastor for a college group, being an elder there at the church, pastor of the skate church, was there for many years. And then sadly, I had to follow it over some uh, heavy um, doctrinal stuff on gospel stuff that I couldn't um, compromise on, ended up leaving there, uh, went to another church was there for a few years, and uh, sadly, had us part ways. It was peaceably, but uh, understanding that we were going different ways. I was far more um, into the freedom we have. I was very anti-jab and very anti-masking and very anti-submitting uh, to a tyrant government. Government, And so I ended up parting, leaving that church, going to a church that had opened their doors and is now um, just wa- pushing hard for the glory of God. And I'm blessed to be on that church now, coming on three years here this Mother's Day. For about a year now, a little over a year now, I've been on the elder board. And uh, I guess for uh, many, I just got, it's, you guys are going to know before a whole lot of people, actually, I was um, told in a family meeting last week, blessed to let know, let the general body know that the church is bringing me on as a full-time evangelist. Our church recognizes the office of evangelist, and that is an incredible blessing. Amen. Um, it's a very rare breed that does that. And so I'm going to be on staff as an evangelist uh, starting the first of next month. Um, big, huge pay cut off of the sheriff's office. But for me, it's like it's like bigger than getting invited into the NFL. I mean, it's like my dream job to go out and preach the gospel. And if it means uh, less money, praise the Lord, we can put food on the table and keep lights on. It's good to go. So uh, that's going to become official next weekend. But I got uh, pointed to it, but to the body and let them know this week and I'll be commissioned this upcoming Sunday. So it's a real blessing. God has been really good overall with my life, despite what this recent stuff is. Yeah. Amen. Amen. You know, one of the things is, uh, you know, Mason is that God always seems to take what seems to be a bad situation and turn it out for his good. Romans eight twenty eight. you know, he's working all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Now that, may mean, and all, I think you can flip it on its head to say, he's working all things out for bad for those who don't love him and aren't called according to his purpose. And so yeah. praise God that he's giving you that opportunity. I, I, think, that's, I think that's wonderful. Now, let's, let's get into some of this. You were with the sheriff's office for, what, 27 years, right? Yep. In 27 that, years and 58 days or something. Yeah. In that time, did you ever have any trouble at all? Was there any time where you're reprimanded or you're corrected about something or anything like that? You you had a pretty impeccable record, didn't you? Yeah. I mean, I think I I messed up a booking thing here and there, you know, minor things. I think I, I had a sick out day 25, 26 years ago. I got docked a day for that or something. But I know all my all my stuff was passed with whatever uh, uh, colors needed to be. I, I'm as far from the greatest person in the world, but I was never under major disciplinary things. And I had absolutely no discipline ever attached to anything to do with the 
LGBTQ stuff. In fact, in the papers I wrote early on in this debacle, I you know, made it clear I have never been accused of anything by any people in the LGBTQ movement, whether it be the least three uh, fellow deputies I've worked with or countless inmates uh, that I've dealt with over the 27 years. It's never been an issue. Um, and overall, yeah, I had a great working relationship and never had an issue due to that. Okay. And also while you're, while you're working, I mean, you're working there in the jail. So you're working with people who haven't been convicted of crimes, but they're, I guess they're being held there. You got some sure. holding cells for some of those. And then you have those, I would assume who have been convicted of crimes and they're spending time there in the jail. What yeah. was your interaction with them? Did you have, in, did you just have the normal cop to inmate kind of a relationship or was it more open to where you're able to share things with them? Uh, input the gospel with them, maybe give words of encouragement or pray with them or anything like that? Was that ever a problem? Uh, it was never a problem. And I will say there was opportunities there more than, say, many other places. Because we're a small town, small county. Uh, Douglas County, our jail is about 200, you know, averages 200, 220 inmates. We're a small community. Uh, town's about 25,000 people. Community, the whole county's 90-odd thousand. A uh, pretty small area. Uh, you see the inmates when you're not in jail. You see them on the street. You see them at the store. They know you. You know them. Um, so there was cross-pollination with me because I've also been ministering for years within several churches, and I've been preaching down at the rescue mission for well over a decade now. So there's a lot of that cross-pollination. A lot of people that I would see in jail would also see me down at the mission. So there's many there that knew that I was a Christian, knew that I um, believed in Jesus. And so I'd even have inmates ask, hey, good night, what's a good verse for today? Or, hey, can you pray for me going to court? You know, things like that. And when there was opportunity, when they would start and ask questions, I would engage. Of course, I believe that doing my job and doing good for my employer, I'm not supposed to rob my employer. So I didn't try to do like I've known some people try to do and try to make excuses for not doing their job. Amen. Try to evangelize and preach the gospel. But if the opportunity came up and they initiated it and I had freedom to do it without neglecting my duties, I'd be happy to talk about it, try to look for open doors, try to encourage people to come to Christ and, uh, give them counsel if they asked, just like they would talk to any other deputy about anything else. I would just talk to them when they'd ask counsel. And of course, I'd say, well, the only thing I can give you is that which is ultimately true, that which is founded on Christ and his word. And so I could, I could counsel, I could pray for, and I could uh, in interject with them as mainly they opened the door, but I'd also pray and ask for the Lord to open doors. And sometimes indeed he would. Amen. Uh, no, I think that's good. And I'm glad that you chimed in there to say, I didn't just take, you know, and go off for two hours and talking with a guy and neglect what I'm doing, because I've heard Chris, you know, professed Christians say that. And I'm like, well, the Bible says don't steal either. Were you getting paid for that yeah. time or do you reimburse your employer? So I'm glad <laughs> to hear that. Now, with with that said, before we get into the stuff here, what do you what kind of fruit did you see come from that as you as you were sharing with some of these people, as you're meeting them both in and out of the jail and they're seeing you at other places. Um, and from what I gathered at the hearing there and what you said, what your elders said and other things was that, you know, you're a, you're a guy that you walk the walk. You, if you're, you know, if you're telling other people to repent and follow Jesus, then you better be doing it too. And, and you seem like you have that life that that is known for you. What kind of fruit were you seeing from the people were, were there some people who were being actually being converted? I mean, genuinely converted, and then their lives were changed. Did you get to see any of those things? You know, it's it's hard to see because generally, you know, some guys you hear testimony of their lives were changed when they moved off, maybe even went into prison, and I never see them again. They're gone for years. 
And I've heard some say that, oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus now. And do I know they're genuinely converted? I don't know. It's kind of hard when the next time you see that person is back in jail, you know, for whatever charge it was they're back in there on. Um, so you, you tend to want to kind of doubt that maybe that's a true fruit of a repentant heart. But I mean, there was there was positive um, words from inmates over the years about me, about my um, care for them, treating them fairly, upholding the rules, holding a line, but being consistent. And basically, that was where I got the most was from knowing that I treated them consistently, fairly, and uh, without bias, and knowing that I was you know going to be truthful. And the fruit I saw was it was with an activity you'd have inmates would tell other inmates, even train them when they'd ask for something that bent the rules or something. They knew that I would. Other inmates would say, "Don't even bother asking; he's not going to do it." Um, and if they had something, say, "Hey, you need a Bible question? Ask good night." Um, and so yeah, there was a uh, positive fruit from that. And I have seen some people that professed Christ, uh, at least one came openly to the mission. I'd seen him at the, um, at the jail and then he came to the mission and he was openly saying they wanted to follow Christ. And I, I, I don't do quick sinners prayers and, you know, say, say this after me. I did that years and years ago. I've turned away from that. Don't see it biblically. Amen. So what I like, Amen. What I like, to, I like to do is I walk a man through, if I have that conversation on the streets anywhere. I think that the parable of the sower is a beautiful picture that Jesus gives us. So often I will walk people through and say, this is the parable of the sower says, and I want you to know you're going to fall into one of these six soils. I do like how John MacArthur called it the six soils, not the four, because there's three types of saved people that produce different levels of fruit, um, but they're all saved. And then there's three that are not, they're not saved. You know, the ones who refuse to hear those who have shallow and turn away from immediate from persecution. Those who are choked out and produce no fruit because they, love riches and the cares of this world. So you got three lost people and you got three groups of saved people. And I tell them going through that parable where they may fall so that when they leave this conversation, if, uh, you know, they, they're obviously not the person that turned away and didn't believe because they're hearing, they say they want to believe, but they could be the shallow person that has no root that as soon as persecution pops up because of the word, they fall away. And I tell them, I want you to know that that, that doesn't mean you've lost your salvation. It's because you were never truly saved. You were never really planted deep. You didn't have roots. That's right. It wasn't real saving faith. And then I tell people, and if you live your life for, you know, riches and fun and all the other things in the world, just try to have a rubber stamp that says you're for Jesus, that's not a Christianity either. You're supposed to dig down, get good roots, and bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. And so that's how you'll know as your life progresses whether you're following Christ or not, encourage him to be in the Word and in church. So I, I don't know where I've uh, been able to see that. I've seen a few people. Um, like I said, that I've seen some fruit in their lives, but have never built relationships enough to know um, how deep uh, with many. I will say there is one young man who I, I, I don't think I could take a whole lot of credit for it, But I mean, he was uh, a smart young guy, worked for me in the jail um, as I used to run the inmate cleaning crew. And uh, he has now been out for 20 years or so now. And uh, he is actively serving his church, a worship leader, and been end up being their uh pastor at some point. He's a solid brother. So I, I like to see that. He's probably the most uh, success story I've ever seen of anybody I've known and had any influence on. And he appreciated the influence. So Amen. Amen. I think that's great. I think that's great. And I was, you know, when you were saying that and you're talking about just giving, just put dropping the seeds of the word along as you go, you know, that's one of the things that, that I do on the show here. Occasionally we have, we have unbelievers who come on the show, but they've got a particular expertise that we're 
deriving something from, and we drop the word along. We might have a conversation after. And I think of passages like Second Timothy chapter two here, where it says, "In the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient." in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. And, you know, when you said, I got away from the praying and prayer thing, oh, I did that long time ago, and I was raised in the Southern Baptist Church. My dad's a Southern Baptist pastor, and that's what you hear, and yet you don't see any of that. It is the, it is the work of the Word of God in the life of the person as the spirit comes along and makes them alive, Ephesians 2, uh, to him. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that you're doing that. Theologically, it sounds good. The practice sounds good. And, uh, and that's something that we talk about here. So let's get to what we're talking about with you that happened recently. Um, do you want to kind of just open this up and let people know? Now, you, you're in Oregon, and I don't know this new governor that's there, but I know the former governor, Kate Brown, was about as backwards as you can be. And how can you not be when you have a reprobate mind, when God has given you over to those kinds of things? How can you not be? Is what came down to you with regard to the transdelusionals, and I say that because not as a put down, I'm saying it because they're under the delusion that they can actually change to another sex, which they can't. doesn't matter how much they mm-hmm. mutilate their bodies. So mm-hmm. Did this come down from the governor? Was this something in your county? Was this something the sheriff came up with? How did how did this come about? And can you tell people exactly what it was that ended up costing you your job? Sure. Um, I can say, un- unfortunately, I can't say it came from the governor. Um, it was ultimately the sheriff's unwillingness to stand firm on what he knows better and should do. Um, he professes be a believer. In fact, this could sum up his whole stance, which is sad. We had good conversations in his office during this discipline process, but he said to me, Mason, I'm a a conservative, God-fearing Christian man, but we've got to separate our job from our faith, right? And I said, no, Sheriff, you're subject to God. He's the Lord of all, and therefore you're accountable to do what he says, and you need to repent for having this position. Amen. And uh, so, no, you can't do that. And so he admitted that this thing was a mess. This is all tied into a federal program to bring it back to where this kind of all started. In 2003, uh, they put together a program out of the feds called PREA, which stands for Prison Rape Elimination Act. So in 2003, this gets implemented, and they try to push it across the whole nation to reduce, of course, prison rape. And, of course, everybody's for that. Nobody wants to see prison rape. We've never, we've never been for prison rape, obviously. Um, but see, there's a lot of things in the act that are now, uh, especially tying with the, uh, like you said, the trans delusional, I like that idea, um, because that's what it is. And I agree with you in my name clearing hearing that you watch part of at least that was one of the things I said, clearly, just like I said, clearly there's no such thing as gay marriage. God defined marriage between one man and one woman. It's a gay mirage. And, uh, there's no such thing as transgenderism because God created two genders, male and female created them. Genesis 5, 2, and therefore you can't change it. All you can do is mutilate the body that God created you with. And so I refused to stand for that. And so when they were pushing this Prius stuff, supposedly there was a, a policy or procedure on the books back as far as 2017. 
somehow down the line, I've said this in my uh, hearing on thing. I said it in the newspaper article. A lot of people tried to give some weight to the fact that supposedly this has been on the books for several years, and all they've done is done some minor revisions. And uh, I've said if that is the case, if they were only minor revisions, and somehow I missed it. Somehow signing things nowadays, you probably you know you know you click things like you click a box, you click it, whatever, scroll through. If I failed, if I somehow didn't look at something clearly, didn't read something right, and I clicked something and said yes, when I should have said no, if this policy has been functionally unchanged since 2017, then shame on me. I somehow did not notice it. They do not remember it all being this way. Um, but when it came to me um, earlier this year, back in January, I realized, well, I can't sign off on this. But the policy was the nail in the coffin, the final nail in the coffin. But what started it was a training. We were given a training to do, which, you know, law enforcement says you get specific trainings they have to do. And they usually give you a training so that you'll be able to sign off on a policy or procedure. And they gave us this training that was called LGBTQ community training. Well, I watched through the training and got to the point where the first quiz was, and it was asking a question about transgenderism. And one of the questions it said was, quote, what is uh, transgenderism? You know, what does it mean to be transgender? And it gave this, I gave the multiple choice answers, but none of the answers was true. They were all false answers. So I couldn't answer it even falsely. So I refused to answer the questions. I refused to complete the training. I said, I'm not going to lie and affirm that, which isn't true. I said, this training is not, um, this training is not awareness training. Like they were trying to say it was this training was indoctrination training. And so I refused it and wrote, preached, did all kinds of stuff for my lieutenant. And that, that kind of kicked off this 10-week ordeal, so much so that in the midst of all this, at one point, I even went out of my way to rewrite the whole training because they kept saying, this is just awareness. I said, this is not awareness. This is indoctrination and affirmation, and I'm not going to take part in that. And uh, their first accommodation, surprisingly, I felt was total ethics violation. They actually said, well, if you agree to sign this form and say you'll respectfully do your job, we will go to the back room to the uh, to the administrative side of the Lexipol training, which they have, and we'll complete the training in your name. And therefore, you just sign this saying you disagree. Whoa, we'll what? You completed the training. And then it would go on a training form to also go to the state to show that I completed the training. And I said, "That's I'm not going to even take part in opening that can of ethical nonsense. I'm not going to lie or have someone lie for me. So they said, well, that's not what we're doing. That's not, and I said, you're going to complete the training. You're going to give me credit for it if I sign this. They said, well, yeah. But I said, well, then I'm not doing it, which is crazy. So they thought that was an accommodation. I said, no. And then so they came out with another accommodation, they called it. And that accommodation was to give me the new revised uh, jail procedure for transgender booking and custody. And I looked at it and I was shocked. I'm like, this is not a religious accommodation. This is an insult because this is actually telling me to do that which I wouldn't even affirm in training, let alone say I'm going to do. And so they give me this procedure, and the very first sentence, I can get through the first half sentence. But then after that, I can't do the next half. So I'll read to you where it all breaks down. So I've got this procedure, and it says, the policy of the Douglas County Corrections Division is to ensure the respectful, courteous, and professional treatment of transgender adults in custody, AIC. AIC is the new name for inmates, new politically correct. Well, so that's fine. I can I can affirm to there. I'll say I'll affirm you today, even though I disagree with the term. 
But then there's a comma, and then it says, as well as respect the sexual orientation or gender identity of any person in custody. And I said, I absolutely will not respect a sinful ideology, a sinful um, false profession. I'm not going to respect that. I'm not going to bring the woe on me that the county wants to bring on themselves. But God says, woe to you who call evil good and good evil. And how can you not say you're calling something good if you respect it? If you respect people's choices, that's right. I can respect them as an image bearer of God, and I wrote severely, thoroughly, in several pages of documents that I, I love everybody. It's not just I don't just respect people; I respect them as image bearers of God, and I love them, and I love them enough to not affirm them in their sin. That I want them to be saved. I want them to repent and believe in Jesus. Amen. You know, it's not, it's not about not loving. It's not hate. I love them, and I want what's good for them. And I'm not going to affirm them in their delusion. And so, from right on there, I could not go on with affirming this and when you get further into it you realize the pandora's box that this procedure is and i'll give you two quick scenarios that are undeniable possibilities under this procedure that nobody's been has openly denied this to me other than to say the sheriff under sheriff my jail commander every one of them would tell me mason we're never going to house you know, gender tra transgender people with you know, they're the other gender. We're never going to put a trans guy who says he's a says he's a guy or says he's a girl in with women. We're always going to isolate. I said, then why are you writing a policy that makes it possible to do so? Because I'm That's not going right. to join you in lying on one side or the other. I'm not going to affirm it or I'm not going to lie with you. You just why are you writing something you say you're not going to do? Because it literally says that they will choose who searches them and they will choose where they want to be housed unless there's exigent circumstances, unless there's some reason they can't be housed in accordance to the gender they prefer, then they will be housed appropriately. And Priya wants them housed where they identify. That's where they want them to be housed because they believe that's helping to solve prison rape. But the scenarios are these. If a woman comes into jail, she comes into my jail, she's going to come through a sally port. Everybody sees she's a woman. Now, when you look at their crazed definitions, they have a dictionary and they have definitions of how they define what these different um, positions these folks hold. That's why it's truly a, a Pandora's box. And they have something called gender identity, which, of course, they're choosing who they are, what their identity is. And then they have something called uh, gender expression. Now, so if you have a lady comes in, clearly a woman. Everything about her says she's a woman. She comes into the jail. Our female deputy is there, gets gloves on, prepares to pat her down at the screen. And then when the pat-down is done, she'll be taken back into a, a shower room, and she'll be strip-searched to make sure she's not concealing anything, dressed in, and moved into a female cell. However, if that same woman comes in and stops at the door and says, when she sees the woman walking up to her and says, wait a minute, I don't want a female to search me. I want a male to search me. According to PREA standards and according to common sense and everything we've already done, PREA standard 115.15 says we do not allow cross-gender searches because that's common sense of course we don't do that we would tell her sorry ma'am men don't search women women don't search men that's how this works and she would go oh but i identify as a man oh if she says the magic word that she identifies as a man we have a form for her to fill out that says this is who i want to be searched by and then just by saying that despite everything showing that she is a woman because it specifically says that their gender expression may not align with their gender identity. 
We have to take them for their word unless exigent circumstances, emergency circumstances dictate otherwise. So, so let me let me get this right. So the yeah. trans delusional person, by doing that, they want you to magically turn your brain off and say, oh, I must have learned biology wrong all my life. OK, we'll do it your way. That, I mean, they're wanting you to go along with their insanity is yeah. what's going on. OK. Yes, they want you to do the insane. And, and here's the thing that's even worse, right? And this is getting into where this is actual. There's two things, especially in this woke culture. I'm kind of surprised because they have the current zeitgeist. They can get away with whatever they want, it seems. But in this current culture where everybody wants to sue everybody for everything and people talk about discrimination, it's, isn't it discriminatory that a trans person can have a male search them if they're clearly a woman, but a biological woman can't have a, a man search them if she wants a man to search them? Isn't that discriminatory? I mean, mm. What if she says, hey, I'm not a lesbian. I don't want some woman looking at me naked. I don't want some woman touching me there. I don't do that. I want a man to do it. And we go, no, but why? If we'll do it with a trans person, then it, we clearly know they don't express any different. They've done nothing different. They're completely a woman because we're delusional, because we're, like you said, we're shutting off our brain. But so what would happen is that would be the problem there. But then also goes to the problem of safety and security. Because we don't do cross-gender searches, I have never been trained in 27 years how to pat down a female. I mean, we did, you know, they gave you a cursory to, to make sure you don't touch this or whatever the way you do. All these things you're supposed to do and be careful because you're searching a female. But I've never been practically trained on how to do searching females because we don't want lawsuits. It's not what we do. So the search that I would do on that female, what we biologically know to be a female, is going to be a substandard search. It's not going to be what a woman would be able to do and appropriately do. But see, that's only the kicker. So then that would be the first part. I would have to do the pat-down search. And then after the pat-down search, not only would one male, but because they're quote-unquote transgender, two males would take her back to the shower room and strip search her, preferably one being a sergeant or a supervisor, because heaven forbid we don't want to do anything improprietous. So they would have two males strip search this biological female because she says she's a male. That's how crazy this is. That's the brain shutting off. And that's scenario one. The next scenario, which we're looking at, we may see it sometime in the near future. We do a lot of preaching outside pride festivals. Uh, we just got harassed by police outside a lesbian choir at a United Methodist church we were preaching at the other day. Um, we expect to be outside the pride events this year. And let's just say the police decide in their tyrannical ways to arrest us for disorderly conduct, arrests a husband and wife team outside of the um, event. So they bring them to jail, and by jail policy, we would never house a husband and wife together. They would never be in the same place for obvious reasons. They would be separated. The female would go down to the female cell, and the man would be put in a cell, preferably several cells away, so they couldn't talk to each other and cause disruption, all that. However, if at that same event they arrested a trans female, a quote-unquote trans guy who says he's a that says he's a girl, that one comes in and identifies as trans, then that person could be patted down and placed into the cell with your wife. And that's a reality that could take place uh, under this policy. That's what, and there's no denying it. That's the kind of craziness that just begins. That's just at the booking process, let alone when we start saying, well, if we're going to house them in accordance with their professed gender, there's no escaping the craziness. We'll start housing them true medical females being housed in with workers to where they go in a dorm with 18, 19 other men as they're the sole true female in there. You think that's going to eliminate rape or putting males further 
in with females in a female dorm. You think that's going to eliminate rape? That's the ludicrous craziness of it, but that's where it's going. Yeah. Unavoidable. Yeah. And you can see, you can see where, you know, you read Romans 1 and you see this is something, and this is the sad part you made mention of a Methodist choir of lesbians. And, you know, they, they probably say, oh, God loves us just the way we are. And you go, well, Romans 1 says that no, because you're that, because you're behaving this way, not you're born that way, because you're behaving this way, you're giving evidence that God has turned you over to your own sin. To destroy you. I mean, that's that's in essence what he's doing. And apart from the saving grace of the Lord Jesus, you're going to remain in that. You're going to go to your own destruction. So I, I and I see this the scenarios there. So you reject all of this stuff. You you make every attempt to even rewrite. I forget the name of the thing. JP something whatever you had there. Yeah. The, the training deal. You even offered them a whole new training thing. And yeah. Re- yeah. So so you offer it, the and they reject all of that. Yeah, I rewrote the training, and that's the thing. The training was for the LGBTQ community. I rewrote the training, and they actually did eventually accept the training. They said, your training is excellent. We'll, we'll allow that. I even asked the sheriff when I was pretty sure I was on my way out in one of our meetings. I said, Chase, Sheriff, you know, since you guys even admitted my training was exceeded what you expected, um, if nothing else in the future, since my training is actually dealing with actual corrections, dealing with statistics for jails and rapes and how the LGBTQ community actually uh, behaves in facilities and all that, would you at least consider maybe in the next year you give this to your deputies because it's actually better training, you know, as a parting hope, uh, even to try to get what salvage something decent out of it. Um, he didn't commit, of course, but so they accepted my training for my training, but I rewrote JP 622, the procedure. Um, I rewrote it. And the sad thing is I rewrote it to the exact procedures that we're already carrying out the way we're already doing it, which is already in violation of Priya design desire. It's in violation of what this says we're going to do, but it's the way we've always done it. And that's the way I'm told we're always going to do it. So I just wrote a policy that was actually consistent with what we do. So we're not lying. It was what, and it was worded professionally at all. I mean, I, I even left all their, their definitions in there and just put a, an addendum at the top that said, DCSO employees do not necessarily agree with the definitions here listed in this document, but we recognize they're widely accepted within the LGBTQ community and therefore um, are there for knowledge of, of the beliefs. You know, it's like a simple addendum there so that you don't have to affirm it or own it, but you say you recognize, again, what they said we're supposed to be awareness, aware of what they believe, aware of what they're saying, but you don't have to recognize it. We don't have to affirm it. My training was one, my procedure was 100% in line with what we do. And what we say we're going to continue to do, and they rejected it. They said they're not going to. We're not going to let one deputy determine um, policy for the whole jail. That's their stance. Pride. Wow! Wow! Well, now what? What I want to do is I want to play this little section that I played for the audience on Saturday of your hearing, just so they understand that you're not just coming on this show um, and giving Christian language. And not affirming this in the public, because I'm, I'm sure some people will will think that, well, maybe he wasn't as as bolsters. Maybe he wasn't as bold in his hearing and stuff. And I want people to hear because, brother, I, I heard you speak and I was like, man, were some Christian guys operating in the civil government sphere who will speak out like this? And then your attorney came along. Now, he's not as eloquent as you, but he he I've never heard a lawyer 
who who will who will openly proclaim the scriptures as part of the law that he's defending uh, and the things he's upholding. So I want people to see this just about two minutes here, folks. Just take a listen uh, to what Mason said at his hearing. Whoops, I've got this uh, mute. Boy, I'm really messing. I should have checked that other earlier. Jesus Christ would save you from your sins, each one of you. And that Jesus Christ would be glorified in the church. That's my hope. Um, my people that know I preach know that people know that they're kind of seen memos I've written. I've been very verbose. I will say I have never been a person to just talk trash about leadership behind their back. Everything I'm saying here today has been in the memos and the letters and far more. Got a file worth of stuff I've said. I've not hidden this. I was bad mouthing. I've said these, said to their face, put it in letters. I've written voluminous memos over the years when I found issues I felt were wrong in the jail. It should be fixed. And a few in the past, long, long time past, a few got changed, fixed. It was heard. I tell people you can't ever get anything done if you don't make your voice known. All you're doing is foolishly venting. The Bible says a fool vents his wrath. So don't tell the people who make change you're not going to do anything good. So I've always sent the memos, sent the I jumped ahead a little further. I had my mark right around here, and this is where I wanted to play. Okay. I don't want that. Pray for repentance. But if a flood of inmates start coming in claiming to be transgender, if deputies start saying they're transgender, if people start saying, no, I'm not doing this, and the already drastically criminally understaffed jail becomes even less staffed because they can't keep deputies working there, it's going to be worse chaos. This is an evil Pandora's box that should never have been even considered, let alone open. And I did what I could to keep it from being open, and I did so reasonably, diligently, faithfully, respectfully. And I'm here today in that same vein, not to clear my name, but because someone gave me a platform to speak the truth, to preach the gospel, to call you to Amen. repentance, Amen. to pray that Jesus Christ would save you from your sins, each one of you, and that Jesus Christ would be glorified in the sheriff's office. Okay, so I, for whatever reason, when I play, it jumped like a whole minute ahead. But I wanted people to catch that because it wasn't just this is wrong and God says it, but it's. I'm praying for repentance. I'm not doing this to poke my finger in people's eyes. And people think I do that with, you know, because I use the term sodomite. It's a biblical term. It describes what they do. And people don't want to talk about that. Paul says it's a shame to talk about what they do in private, but that defines what they're doing. And it is like a gut punch because if somebody says you're a liar, what does your flesh do? It raises up and says, I'm not a liar. And if you say you're a sodomite, well, I'm not a sodomite, I'm gay. And then we adopt their terminology. And all of that's problem because the whole gay thing is a marketing strategy, too. But you you took this opportunity to preach the gospel. And people can hear in the background, you've got Pete. I know you had two of the elders, I guess, at your church there. Um, and you hear other people who are amening. They are, they're in agreement with you. And I can't. I can't for the life of me figure out how a, guy, how a sheriff who professes Christ and has these people here, how he's not. I just sit here listening to you and I go, how has this guy not got his head under the table in utter shame that he is dragging the name of Christ and the gospel, by the way, too, through the mud? He has given reason for those who are outside the faith to mock the scriptures. And as the scripture talks about where David did that, he gave his, you know, the enemies of God a reason to mock them, to cast them off, to blaspheme them. How is he not doing that? I mean, is there. Is there no 
sense of decency within the sheriff to even say, hey, you know, I'm really not sure. I hate what's going on, but I'm really not sure this is the right thing. I mean, is there nothing there for, for this guy? I'll tell you, it's really sad because I really, I have to believe that there's kind of a, and I, 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 I'm leery to say this because I don't want to sound self-aggrandizing, but I, it's seen as a similar picture to Moses and Pharaoh. And the only reason I say that is because I've held a firm line and the sheriff has held firmly against, uh, like Pharaoh, saying no and not budging. Even when everything is clear, he should do what's right. When there was no gain for him to do wrong, it came down to either pride, uh, fear of the left, or both. And I think it was probably a little bit of a mix of both, that stubbornness, because I even asked him in a meeting, I said, Sheriff, why do you want to push this? It does nothing for us. They have no power over you. You have run your own jail. The state can't tell you what to do. Um, the feds, and I said, why would you want to be further under the thumb of a wicked Washington government or the wicked Salem government? You asked about the new governor, D Governor Kotek. She is even worse than uh, Kate Brown. She is a full, full open lesbian, ran on the fact that she is uh, the first ever lesbian to run, to be a House speaker, and made that her big her big push was that was her thing, social agenda, whereas Kate Brown was an open bisexual. Uh, this uh, she's full on lesbian and fully about her stances, openly opposing God. Uh, no, no doubt about it. So she's even worse as far as things go in our state. Um, so definitely not getting any better. But she has no power over our jail. The sheriff could have refused this. He could have rolled the dice and seen what happened. He could have told his jail commander, listen, I don't want to deal with this. I'm going to be retiring out here in a year or two. He's retiring in a year or half, year and a half or so. Just put this away. Don't push this agenda. Let's put it on the back burner. Let's not deal with this so that we don't have to deal with this drama. But he chose to stubbornly go forward. And even though he said he didn't agree with the agenda, didn't agree with the, uh, the ideas in this uh, policy stuff, but yet he pushed it through. For no good reason. So I have to see it as probably a judicial hardening of his heart by God because I, there's just no sense, no logic to take the path forward he did in the quote-unquote conservative community we are with the stance he says he has. It just didn't make any sense. Yeah, well, you know, we say here at the Sons of Liberty, uh, and Bradley uses this this phrase, he does the afternoon shows. Uh, one of the things he says is, you know, if the – and we don't use the right and the left terms. Uh, you know, it's just here's the law. And I always ask them the same thing I ask of the pro-choice people. They say, well, I'm pro-choice. And I go, well, finish that. Pro-choice to what? Dismember your baby, behead your baby, murder your baby, burn your baby to death, you know, name your thing. And they kind of look shocked and you go, well, that's what you're doing. Uh, and the same thing is when you get the right and the left. Right and the left of what? The law. Both of them. And he says if the right was doing the right thing all the time, there wouldn't be a left. Why? Because either they would have repented or they're going to be dealt with they're going to be dealt with and so those are those are the things we're seeing we you know because god does not change what we read about his judgments in deuteronomy 28 leviticus 26 the book of revelation upon a disobedient nation and he says if you don't obey me if you obey me you'll i'll bless you so much that the blessings are going to overtake you you're, you're just not going to do what know what to do with yourself except give me praise for that but if you don't obey me all these curses come and the curses are far more, they're like three times longer than the blessings. 
So this is what's going on. But I'm glad that you see that is how God works, because the Bible says his word goes out and it doesn't return to him void, but it accomplishes the purposes for which he sent it out. And I, I do see some of that. I do see a lot of that uh, in what you're what you're portraying there. Let's take this. There's a we got about six minutes or so here. And I notice your background. It says obey God, defy tyrants for the radio audience. And I noticed in here you mentioned our friend Matt Trujella. He's been on the show several times, and Bradley's done some events with him recently up in, uh, I think they were I think they were doing them in Michigan uh, together, one night a week uh, in different counties there. And uh, how how did the, the book, The Lesser Magistrate, impact your thinking and even your conduct in this matter? You know, I, it, this whole, the whole thing has been tied up with my move from standard evangelical positions. I think you, you know, like how it is most evangelicals, you know, everybody's a Republican and a pro-lifer because that's what you are as a Christian. Right. But, um, when I moved out of that paradigm by being introduced to abolitionism, it opened up a huge, uh, group of people, well, a small group of people, but uh, an influential group of people that are moving to see God's word obeyed. And I, I'm a strong proponent of the five tenets of abolitionism. And I even did a uh, talk on, I got to meet Pastor Matt back in 2020 when I went to speak at the Abolition Now conference in Oklahoma. And uh, my topic was basically trying to explain how abolition can be used to bring unity in the church. But one of the key things I always said, if you, if you have trouble even remembering the five tenets, remember this. If it's not biblical, it's not abolitionism, because abolitionism is basically being biblical. Amen. You can't line up your idea with the Bible. It's not right. So I had already been buying into the things that Matt had been preaching for years, he and Rusty Thomas and others. And But I felt like, man, I finally got to read this book because I got to have it down and actually know the the kind of the background because I'm already I'm already in because of what this mentality has brought into the abolition movement. Now I need to know the real book and uh, read it, and it was great. So it influenced me in in that it gave me um, uh, more solid understanding of what I was already affirming through coming through the abolitionist movement, which he has been so integral in being part of the formation of it. So I, I can't say enough good about Pastor Matt and how he has been such a blessing to me and to people all across the country, guys like him and Rusty Amen. Thomas, another guy who's been amazing, um, a blessing to me. And just so many guys, the Free the States guys, Russell Hunter, and I, I could go on and on about guys that have been such a blessing. Um, but just holding a line that says, hold to what the Bible says, don't worry about what society says, and do what's right. And that's been easier to do that in this because I already had an abolitionist framework. I believe one of the biggest problems in our nation, I put a lot of it on the pulpits, too many people for too long a time have had a two kingdoms go along to get along, you know, that's the world we got to put up with it unless they you know, put a gun to your head and tell you to deny Jesus or say you're not a Christian. You just do what they say. And and that type of mentality has run through the church. And it's why, sadly, I didn't have any other Christians join me. Um, I hope they do. I pray they do. I hope they won this. I hear they still have not made anybody sign off on this as of about a week ago. I'm praying that enough of this word gets out, enough is stirred up that when they do push it forward, that a bunch of Christians say, you know, Mason's right. I'm not doing this wrong. I'm not going to join in. As far as I know, right now, everybody did the training, and uh, I assume they'll do this unless God moves on their heart, because the churches have not been pushing for people to stand for what God says, regardless of what the world says. They have this two-kingdom mentality, and it's really messed things up. 
Yeah, well, part of it is is what we talked about with Charlie on Friday, and that is when we go back to those who came and established uh, the colonies when they were being established and all, those guys came from a time where they had just really gotten the Bible in their hands in their own language, and they're coming in and their governments they set up, the real real governments, um, which have Jesus as king, are God, Christ, and Scripture. They're all in there. You get it from the Mayflower Compact. You get it from the uh, Connecticut Constitution that we looked at in 1639. And you get it throughout all throughout the states, actually, the colonies. Uh, many of their laws were written, and they cited the scriptures for why it was against the law, and then they cited it for why for what the punishment was. Because, you know, I asked people, too, about just punishments. I'm, I'm actually against jails uh, because I don't think God set any jails up. And, they, you know, you don't throw people in there for stealing something. You make them restore it. Um, there's, there's a lot of, and then we got wacky laws about calling things. What God said was good. We said, Oh, well, this is evil. We're going to ban it. And then we're going to throw people in jail because they grew something or whatever. Anyway, I'm not going to get off on that line, but this is what man does. Man starts doing what he thinks is right in his own eyes. And then the punishments do that. And instead of punishing the evildoer, what they do is they punish the people they victimized. They punish people who aren't even affiliated with that. You know, if they're put in a federal prison, everybody's paying to keep those guys up. And so it's it's an unjust system that Satan lays on us. One thing you said, you know, people holding a gun to your head or something like that. Satan's a lot more crafty than that. He gets you on the yep. things of just sign that thing on the line. We'll take care of the rest. It's not a big deal. It's did God say this fruit shouldn't be eaten, right? I mean, that's the way he comes. He comes more subtle than that. We've got a little bit about a about a minute. And what I, what I want to do is, Mason, is it possible we can hold you over just a couple of minutes? Because what I want to do is I want to ask you about the men in your church because they also appeared at this hearing. And what one of the pastors said, just, I was like, this guy's got a pretty solid church. It seems like from what I'm seeing, he said, had you went ahead and signed on that, they would have had to discipline you. Now we've, we've taught Matthew 18 here, uh, went through that, showed people how to do it. My goodness, we still can't get some people to go to their brother uh, and be reconciled to their brother because of anger or pride or whatever the case may be. And, uh, you know, it's a shame because it's like, well, is the Lord Jesus Lord or is he not Lord? Are you going to obey him? Or are you not going to obey him? And that's, that's how he's made those things. We all know what it is to have disagreements and things, but we want to be reconciled to one another in the same manner that we've been reconciled back to the father. And Christ has given us the instruction for that. So I want to hold you over just a little bit. And uh, I want to ask you about the church that you're with, the men you're there with, I'm not asking you to put them up on a pedestal, but just kind of so people understand, because a lot of people here at Sons of Liberty who listen, they do not have um, a church they can go to that teaches the word and they don't have people who love God. So hang on. We're going to have uh, Mason with us just over the hour here. Catch it at sonsoflibertymedia.com. Bradley will be with you at 3, and Lord willing, we'll be back with you in the morning, bright and early, 6 a.m. Talk to you then. See you. Okay, want to welcome everybody coming over from uh, Red State Talk Radio and Mason. That's what I want to do. I want to. I want. I just want to throw this out to you. Can you tell us a little bit about the church that you attend? What is the how? Do, how is their teaching? I I often tell people, um, you know, one of the things that I look for if I go to be a part of a fellowship, and we planted a church for like eleven years over here in North Carolina. Was well, actually back and forth. We met in houses and we met in a rented building just so we'd have a place to be. But 
one of the things I tell them is expository preaching is key. If you mm -hmm. teach in context, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, it's very difficult for a preacher to run out and make that say what he wants it to because he has to stay in the context and he's teaching people how to do that in the process. What's things like in the teaching capacity? What, what kind of character do the, the elders in your church hold uh, the men who are in positions that God has established, whether they be elders or bishops or, or deacons? How do, they, how do they function there? Um, well, I can just tell you right off the bat, my church name is Wellspring Bible Fellowship. You can go to the website if you want to check them out at wbf.church. I can't say enough good about the church. Um, pastor Brian Carver is the lead teaching pastor. Um, like I said, I'm just getting, I've been called in. I've been on the elder board now for a little over a year, and I'm uh, named as an evangelist. I'm an act, they recognize the office of evangelist, which is a blessing. Um, we just brought in another pastor a while ago on staff. Uh, Pastor Ryan Clark, who's a good friend of mine, um, who came up from uh, Southern Oregon area, a little about an hour or so down from us, joined our church. We have another brother who is actually a uh, deputy, he's actually an ME for the sheriff's office I work for, um, who's with me on the elder board there. He's one of the other pastors, he's been there longer than probably any of the other pastors, definitely. And then we have another elder, uh, Brother Shane, he is the elder chair. Um, and another elder leads the kind of our finances, Brother Brandon. So we've got six of us on the board and every one of those men, I'm happy to be able to serve with and see God move in and through them uh, for the glory of his name and furthering the work in his church, both inside and outside of the walls. It is a unique place. Pastor Brian came in about five years ago, I want to say. And uh, Pastor Brian, he, he, they both, Pastor Brian and Brian both spoke. Brian was a darker Aired a uh, young man speaking there, and Pastor Brian was a bald guy. Um, they both spoke, and uh, Pastor Brian has been there. And he stirred things up ever since he got there. He is a uh, solid, strong, uh, outreach-oriented, evangelistic, um, abolitionist, uh, reformed guy. Went through a master's um, college. Um, went through similar like me. Was at a Calvary Chapel. We have a lot of similar stories. He was a Calvary Chapel guy before he went to Masters. He's a, a big MacArthur guy, um, but big time. Uh, also friends, you know, fans of like Jeff Durbin and End Abortion Now, the part of that network. Um, again, I just can't say enough. He knows what it means to be uh, a pastor who does the work of an evangelist. He's one who will go out and lead the flock onto the streets, out to the abortion mills. Um, he encourages people from the front and leads and uh, I'm blessed to now be able to help take the main shoulder of that burden so that he can more minister um, within the walls more um, fully as I can then help carry the folks outside of the walls. But I do so with the complete support. And I've never had something like that. For him to say, we're going to hold you under church discipline where you to sign that um, was a blessing to me. because I never Amen. Hey, it was a blessing to me to hear it. It was awesome. because. It said it clear because it's one thing I do. I just it's worth making clear because of that. Sadly, as many Christians are supporting me in this and are supportive, and I appreciate it, many of them are wrongly coming to this view that this is some kind of a Romans 14 issue of conscience. Like it was cool that I did this because I felt that I needed to, but it's not necessarily binding that anybody else needs to. And that's where they're wrong. This is a violation of God's commandments. This is calling good evil 
and evil good. That brings woes. This is making an idol of man's laws rather than following God's laws. This is defying God. This is bearing false witnesses right out of the Ten Commandments. These are big things here. This is this is loving your job more than loving your neighbor by willing to acquiesce to say and do things that God calls abominable. So it's not a Romans 14 thing. It's an open sin violation of his commandments thing. And sadly, there's a lot of Christians out there that think this is just oh, this is just my personal stance. It'd be, it'd be a sin against my conscience not to do because I have a personal conviction. Well, of course I have a personal conviction because I'm a man who believes the word of God is true and that it's clearly shown that this is sin and therefore I can't take part in it or further it. So I praise God that my pastor took that same role, dealing with it in Matthew 18 for fashion because it's sin. It's not a sin against conscience that one can do and another can't. Yeah, this is not an issue of liberty, and that's what Romans 14 is about, is about, is about the liberty we have in Christ, uh, but yeah. also uh, the issue of we don't use our liberty to cause our brother to stumble. So you're exactly right. This has nothing to do with that. This is about how God has defined right living, man and woman, uh, how he has given us his commands. I mean, there's, there's a whole slew of things. It's not just even the two things or so that you pointed out there. There's a whole avalanche of things that come behind that. Uh, when you go down that road. Well, listen, uh, our hour's up, and I appreciate you staying over with us. It's, it's been just a pleasure to have you on. I'm thrilled to hear the testimony of what God has done. Because, brother, you don't do that on your own. Amen. You Somebody don't do it on your own. Nobody who follows Christ does it on their own. Because what do we want to do? We want to go be friends with everybody. I, I Look, I tell people on the show, I wish everybody liked me. I, I do. I'm not out here to tick people off. That's not that's that's not in me. But boy, had the Lord not changed my heart, I wouldn't be speaking things and doing things that I mean, it just it wouldn't be happening. But what I want to do is I want to leave you with the final word for the audience. And what we do is, uh, of course, we don't have really the problem. Uh, well, we do have a problem uh, where this is concerned, but we've we've mainly glorified God in his law and in his gospel and in his Christ. And what I want to do is give you the final word of exhortation to the audience. What would be the final thing that Mason would say to our audience uh, to exhort them to go in the path that you're going as well? Uh, clearly, and thank you for this opportunity, clearly we need to be a people of the word, his eternal perfect word. God's law is, is perfect. It, is, it saves souls because it draws people to the cross. It's the schoolmaster that leads us to grace. We need to obey God's law, and we need to see how we fail in it, and we need to see that Christ is our only answer. And therefore, we must stand firm that it is perfect, it's righteous, and true, and it isn't bendable or changeable because it is His Word. God's law is not about, He doesn't say, you shall not steal because He doesn't like stealing, but because it reflects His perfect character, and God is not a thief. Therefore, we're not supposed to reflect that and be thieves. We're supposed to do what's right according to God's law. So my encouragement to everybody is do what's right. The simple sentence I've been saying for a long time is people worry about the pragmatic. Well, is, is this effective? Does this give me a win in the end? Is this going to do the best? The best is to do this simple statement and understand it. Obedience is victory. Those three words are all you need to know. Obedience is victory. Obey God. You've won. There's no other option. Obey God, you've won. It doesn't matter what the world does. It doesn't matter what happens. Obey God and you have had victory because you pleased God and you honored him and glorified him because that's what following his word does. Amen. Amen. That's, I think that's a great word to end on. Obedience is victory. We overcome by what? 
The blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony, right? So you're exactly right. Mason, good night. Wow, brother. Thank you so much. And I, I praise I praise God that he has take already. I mean, what? Are we a week out and he's already taking care of you? He's already yeah, taking I mean, care of you because of that obedience. Yeah. The, the Lord has been good the whole way. The support of the church, my family, everybody. It's been amazing. I mean, just and people across the country like you and others. I mean, the support, the, the prayers, the contacts. It's been amazing. The Lord in his church has been abundant. It's been awesome. Amen. Amen. All right, brother, hang on, and I will say goodbye to you off air. Guys, catch Bradley at 3 p.m. Eastern, sonsoflibertymedia.com. You can tell I'm smiling because I'm kind of excited. My hair has been standing up. Look at that. I mean, the whole time it's just, eh. And uh, so, yeah, catch Bradley at 3 p.m. Eastern on sonsoflibertymedia.com. And then, Lord willing, we'll be back with you in the morning, 6 a.m., bright and early. Talk to you then. See ya.